I think that from from time to time, one of the things that's important is that we 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 as a church review who we are. We're reminded of our our core values, what it is we stand for, what it is that that we're trying to accomplish. And so, what I want to look at today uh, is the aspect of grace. You know, we've uh, we've been talking about. L-E-A-D for the last four or five weeks, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And if that's not in place, dealing with the environment of our hearts, dealing with the aspect of are we taking action in anything? Are we digging around the roots? Maybe there's something special we need to do to kind of fan into flame. But one of the things that, that we hold dear and that we hold true according to what Scripture teaches is this aspect of grace and truth. As we, as we are real-life church, that's what we stand for. We stand for grace, but it's also balanced out with truth. And so I want us to look at that this morning. We're, we're really completely dependent on God's grace. There's literally nothing that we can do without God's grace. You hear people say all the time, by God's grace, by God's grace. And what, is, what does that mean? As I was thinking through it, the, the, the aspect of grace is really this idea, of course, that we are forgiven, that we're loved by God. But grace is given to us for a reason. Grace is given to us, and I've mentioned this before, that, it, that if we fall, that we can get back up. That when we fall, it's not the end. Well, he tried, it's over for him. Forget it. But grace is there for a reason. Grace is there for a reason so that when we do fall, that we get back up. It gives us the ability to learn. It gives us the ability to grow, the ability to be shaped by God. You know, what was going through my mind as I was thinking about that is, you know, as, as parents, there, there are several things that we try to teach our children. Or there have been, think of a moment where you've been in a teaching scenario where you needed to learn something. And I remember as a manager of, of five guys, one of the things that I had to do was to train a lot of new employees. There was, of course, a time that I had to be trained as well. This is the proper way, <clears throat> this is the proper way to make fries. And you're thinking, fries, really? How difficult could that be, right? Because if, if you don't get a job, they say, well, you can always say, do you want fries with that, right? That's kind of the, the running joke. You can, you can work for fast food. Well, with five guys, the, the, the fries are a real process, because they, they come from potatoes that are literally in bags. Have you, have you been to Five Guys? Raise your hand so if anybody's tracking with me. Okay. They're, they're in bags sitting out on these shelves, okay? And they're from Washington. They're from different places. They're from Idaho. And they are specifically selected for Five Guys. Five Guys takes their fries seriously. But they bring these fries, these potatoes in here. We have these huge cutters, and we, you know, push them down through this grate and make French fries, or what will be French fries, they're soaked in these, these big things of water to get the starch out of the fries so that if you fry a French fry, it's not going to turn black because of all the sugars, okay? I'm giving you more detail than you need to know, but you're like, hey, you have the next time you have five fries at Five Guys, you'll get it, okay? But anyway, so they soak and they go through this process, but here's the deal. The fries are, are fried twice. They're dropped down once for I don't know how many minutes. I don't remember anymore, and they're pulled up, and they're left to sit, and then they're put down again when they're actually ready to be truly cooked and given to the customer. Now, as you're learning how to do fries, you think it's a simple thing, but if that's where everybody starts, okay? 
Can you make fries right? That's probably one of the most complicated parts of the restaurant, believe it or not. Besides the hamburgers and that stuff, it is really the most complicated thing. But as you're teaching someone to do it, inevitably someone brings up the fries too early, okay? Or they've cooked too long. So they're soggy and nasty or they're overcooked. But the whole process of that, we're going to mess up some French fries. There are potatoes that have gone through the process. They're going to get dumped out and thrown away. But what if it was that, you know, your only shot to work at Five Guys was is you had to come in, drop down the fries, and do it perfect the very first time, or you're out. You can't learn in that kind of environment, can you? Or if you're going to make the hamburger and you read the ticket wrong and you put ketchup on and the customer didn't ask for it, you're fired. Get out. Five Guys is all about perfection. It really is. But there is grace involved in the process so that you learn how to cook fries. You learn how to make a hamburger the right way. All these little tiny little things that go into it. If you don't have the environment of grace, you're never going to learn. And you're never going to be sharpened into being the employee that you need to be for five guys. So grace is an environment, but it's not the kind of thing where it's like, dude, George burns the fries every time. And the manager says, don't worry. We love George. Don't worry about it. it never says anything to George. But George just continues to burn the fries. That's really not the point of being an employee at Five Guys, right? Five Guys could be all about grace and truth, but if it's just heavy on the grace, no one ever gets French fries. The guy never accomplishes the purpose that he was there for as an employee. You've got to be able to make good fries at Five Guys because once you get them, man, they're delicious, okay? Made the very best way, perfectly salted. You've got the, the vinegar to throw them in if you want, ketchup, all that stuff. But that employee has a purpose to, to make those fries, to make burgers in a certain way. And grace is an environment that says, you know what, you messed up but let's get you up again, and let me, let me help you with this. Let me point out something to you about this. You know, you have to, in the middle of it, bring up the, in the process and shake the fries, because if you don't, guess what? They all stick together. This guy's been making bricks ever since, and oh, I'm so glad you told me. Thank you. He needed a little bit of what the word in the Christian way is rebuke, but a little bit of correction, a little bit of change to say, you know what? If you don't shake this, you're going to get a brick. And so grace is not so that the guy continues to make burnt fries is so that he learns, that he makes fries the best way. And here's a great thing is that when, when grace is applied and people learn and they grow, right, then Five Guys does become a bit of a utopia. Perfect fries, the perfect burgers. All that kind of stuff has to come together. Now, this is a silly you know, illustration about food that we probably all shouldn't be eating, by the way, right? But, it, but if you apply those kinds of things and you understand what grace is for, it makes sense when it comes to church. And see, as a church, as, as, as the people of God, we do believe in grace and truth. But when it's applied here, it has to be both at the same time. Not, not, not a matter of imbalance, it's both at the same time. Because grace without truth is worthless. It's burnt fries, 
okay? When you apply that to your life, it's even worse, you know? If you don't know the truth, if you're not living and acting in the truth, that grace isn't helping anybody. It's not helping. And there are situations we think about in our lives when it comes to, (laughs) I always have to go to driving, Madonna, you know? If I'm trying, Dennis is going to be getting his license. He turns 15 this next month. And there are going to be some, some aspects of grace he needs as he drives, but there's some mistakes he, you know, he can't make more than once. Or it's going to really lead down a really wrong road, isn't it? It can lead to death. And that's what we find in Scripture, really, is that if, we, if we're not acting and living in the truth, grace is there, but the road that that's being walked on, if it's not corrected, it leads to death. It leads to destruction. So grace and truth have to come together, and you're really not loving somebody if you're not sharing the truth with them, are you? You're like, no, it's, it's really okay, George. It's all right. No one wants fries. Is that the truth? No. I want my fries, man. You know, don't worry about burning the burgers. You know, but then someone, you know, Someone comes to the manager and says, all these burnt fries, what's going on? Can you please talk to your employees and get things straight? And George says, or the manager says to the customer, well, I don't want to offend George. He's kind of sensitive. I don't want to hurt his feelings. And that's where it gets tough, right? Because then it's like, you know, what's, what's going to happen here if, you know, He's never going to learn to make fries if he doesn't hear the truth. But grace and truth are meant to come together. There's meant to be that arm of love that comes around George says, George, I love you, but I got to tell you something, man. We need to, we need to show you how to shake these fries. We need to show you the, the truth about the right way to do this. And in a much grander scheme, when it comes to life as, as the church, we have to kind of put our arms around each other sometimes and say, I love you, but, but here's something that, that we need help with together or when it comes to the world sharing their love, but if they never know the truth of Jesus, that Jesus is, is a, he asks us to follow him, as we've been talking about, to be a disciple, then they miss the whole point. So I want us to look, that was a big, long intro, wasn't it? I promise I won't be that, that long today. But let's look at the book of, of John. I'm just going to go with the screen. It'll save me a little bit of time. In John chapter 1, I want to, uh, do I have all that in there, Justin? I think I do. It's all over the place, and I apologize. But let's go to the beginning. Let's look. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the Gospels. In John chapter 1, let's look at what it says. It says this, in the beginning was the Word, and it says the Word was with God, and the Word was God. By the way, this is an introduction to one of the Gospels. The Word is Jesus. That's who we're talking about. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And it says, without him was not anything made that was made. He was responsible for all of it. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And it says that the darkness has not overcome it. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. He's talking about 
John the Baptist, or a better way to put it is John the Baptizer. They called him the Baptist, not like, hey, he's a Southern Baptist, okay? But he's the guy who baptizes people. He's the one that dunks them all. Oh, that guy, John the Baptist, or the Baptizer, okay? And he said that he, was, he came, his job was to bear witness about Jesus. He was the guy that went ahead and said, hey, everybody, Jesus is coming. This dude is going to rock your world, okay? And so this says the true light, however, that John was talking about, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. It says in verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. It's crazy when you think about it, isn't it? God's the one that made this world. He's the one that made you and me, and not everybody gets that. That's a huge thing to miss out on, isn't it? To be in this world and to not realize and know the Creator who did it. It says He came to His own. It's talking about the Jewish people. and His own people didn't even receive Him. In fact, we know as we read through the Scriptures that they crucified Him on a cross. They didn't receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, it says He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it's, it's not talking about the kind of child that, that, that David just had, for example, the guy who normally does our sound. They just had a baby, by the way, if you didn't know that. Okay, so he's a proud papa. We're not talking about a physical, fleshly thing. We're talking about a spiritual thing. Okay? The right to be, have that connection, to be a child of God. It says, who were born not of the blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And then it says, the word became flesh. Talking about Jesus, God himself became flesh. God put skin on, if you will, right? And dwelt among us. He lived with us in the flesh for a period of time. In the book of John, we have John's eyewitness of this. This happened. God came down and became like one of us. He dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. And I love this. This is key. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of what? A little meek this morning. Full of what? Full of grace and full of truth. He came packaged, if you will, full of grace and truth together. It says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks. But this is the guy I was talking about, okay? And then John says in verse 16, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. You catch that? It's like the double-decker sandwich, okay? Meat upon me. Grace upon grace from this guy, from, from God, Jesus, full of grace and truth, we've received grace upon grace. Loads of grace. Because it says, for the law was given through Moses, right? We think about the Old Testament, the law in particular was, was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all that kind of stuff came through Moses. But it says grace and truth came through who? Through Jesus Christ. Look, I know there's about 10 of us right today, but we can all talk like there's 50 of us, all right? So who? You're not cussing this morning. You're in church when you say that, okay? So one more time. 
Come on. Grace and truth came through, through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, says the only God who was at the Father's side, he's made him known. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So this guy, John, is baptizing people and people are sent out to him, who are you? What are you doing? What's your deal? Right? And this is what John says. We're going to come back to this. <clears throat> um, he, he confessed and did not deny, but said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. They said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? I've got to go back with some kind of report, John. Tell me what you're doing here. Okay? And, and he said this, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Make straight the way of the Lord. Keep that in your mind because we're going to come back to that. Make straight the way means it's a preparation for Jesus as he comes. What they would do, and we've talked about this before, is that if a king was coming to town, they would clean house, if you will, right? If the chariot that was bringing the king, if the, the whatever way they got him there on these roads, they weren't like we have now, which some of us aren't that impressed, right? Even now, but we're talking about dirt roads and high places, low places, you know. And so because it's the king, they wanted to get the road level, get the road straight, get it prepared for the king that's coming. Make way, make a straight way for the king. He's coming we're going to, and, and, and if you have, anybody ever clean their house extra special or clean it at all when someone is coming over for dinner? Yeah. Okay. A couple of you. I know whose house to go to. Just kidding. And so, yeah, you, you kind of, maybe yours is just perfect all the time, you know. But John said, I, I'm getting things ready for Jesus. And that's important. Okay. We're going to come to that because here's the first thing. If you're, you're taking notes or scribble, scribble this on your brain, we're completely dependent on God's grace. Let's, let's shoot a couple of verses to that regard. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Probably the most common verse on, on grace. It says, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay? That's really key, by the way. We as Christians should be talking about the grace of God and the love of God. Because God does love you. God has grace that he's willing to give to all of us, right? But there's a difference between understanding that grace and knowing it, right? And then actually placing your faith in him. So it's grace by faith. If we have faith in God, we receive that grace from him. Does that, does that make sense? So it's not like, you know, just the average Joe out there that has no acknowledgement of God, doesn't care about God, that are, that are saved, if you will, in the understanding of that. God loves them. God's willing to give them grace. But there has been an acknowledgement of faith, an acknowledgement that says, you are my God. You are the one that I follow. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It says, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This isn't something you can earn, right? Salvation isn't something if you're good enough, if you check all the right boxes, that, that you're saved. It's not about doing stuff, because it's about what Jesus did for you. We're never going to be good enough on our own, okay? 
And unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that, that you've probably sat through at times or you've heard of that, that kind of make it feel that way. That you, if you don't measure up, if you don't do all the right things, that you're not saved. You don't have the grace of God and love of God. But we can never be good enough. It's by God's grace. There's another passage of Scripture that kind of nails us out in a really cool way. It says, let's see, Romans 11.6, if you can find that one for me, Justin. Romans 11.6 says, But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. It's not based on your report card, if you will, right? It's based on the grace and love of God that he gives to us freely. That's pretty awesome. Pretty amazing stuff. We're dependent completely on God's grace. The whole aspect of understanding grace and truth is really important. As I mentioned earlier, I've used this illustration with a friend of mine who, before that has a child, that he kept going into the kitchen and turning on the flame. You've heard me use this before, right? If you have a gas stove, makes a cool sound, turns it off, turn it off, and the kid's only like six, seven, I don't know. Six or seven-year-old shouldn't be messing with a gas stove, right? And you can be loving to that child, but at some point you also have to say, no, no, don't mess with the gas. And in this case, he popped his son's hand and he learned a lesson, but it was for a reason, so that he wouldn't burn himself, okay? Grace and truth, those things have always got to be together. I think one of the, the cool things, if we, uh, this isn't in, on the screen, but turn, turn to, to John, if you would, just for a moment. The book of John, chapter 1. The Gospels, by the way, one of the things that you need to realize, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of Jesus, okay? And they all kind of have a different perspective, and they all come together because Mark says some things that Matthew doesn't, and Luke says some things, and John says some things. And sometimes these are called the synoptic Gospels where they kind of come together and give you a full picture of, of the life of Jesus, and John is probably one of the most comprehensive ones as it started, as we read earlier. But as we go through the story uh, of Jesus and we look at John, it's really interesting if you keep flipping through. I know some of you might just have your digital Bibles out. But in John chapter 1, we get that, that early introduction. And then and the first miracle, first thing that Jesus does is go to a wedding. Anybody know what Jesus' first miracle was? Turn water into wine. I think one of my favorite miracles. Pretty cool. He turned water into wine. Okay? We see Jesus go to a wedding, and the Jews, man, know how to celebrate. Okay? When they have a wedding, you know, we think of a wedding, you know, it's a, it's a one-day thing where we have maybe about four or five hours. You've got the ceremony and whatnot, and then you have the reception, and everybody gets out the DJ or the band and all that kind of thing, and they you know, drink and celebrate, and it's over. But the Jewish people, when they celebrate a wedding, it literally takes a week. How'd you like to party for a week? They're like, yeah, invite me to that wedding, okay? So this wedding has been going on for a period of time, and the worst thing ever happens, okay? They ran out of wine. That stinks, okay? 
for a party to run out of wine, for a celebration to run out of wine. And it was really, for the host and hostesses, pretty embarrassing, right? Don't you, if you have someone coming over, you have a party or something, you probably, I'm the at least, I, I do, I make too much stuff. I'm always afraid I'm going to run out. I'm not going to have enough. And because of that, there's always way too many leftovers. Anybody like that? Just curious. All right, good. Thank you. All right, so it's embarrassing. And so Jesus' mother comes to him, okay, for help. And Jesus literally takes these huge stone water pots. I think it says it held around 30 gallons of water. It says, hey, fill those guys up, and we'll make some wine. And he pulls, takes, they, they do that, and the guy say, Jesus says, hey, go take some wine to those guys. He takes some wine, and the guy tastes it, and he's like, this is better than any of the wine you've offered in the first place. Normally, you bring the best stuff out first and the cheap stuff later because by then they've drank too much, and it doesn't matter. You catch me? Okay? It doesn't matter at that point. But we see Jesus right away in this aspect of, of celebration, of love, his very first miracle. I would, I would dare say an aspect of grace and helping out in a wedding to continue to allow the celebration to go forward. We see that aspect of Jesus, okay? But then, literally, the next chapter, the next story we read, uh, actually, this is still in the same chapter. The next story, right after this wedding, you see Jesus going into the temple. He goes into the temple. It says it was the Passover in Jerusalem. And it says, and in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and all this kind of stuff on the Passover. It says that he made a whip of cords and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered as he did this that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So at the same time, we see a Jesus who's ready to make wine for a wedding. And in the next moment, we also see Jesus driving people and overturning tables and, and getting them to do the right thing. What are you doing making money in church, essentially? This is supposed to be, this isn't a house of business. Actually, Jesus on another place says, it's instead it's a house of what? Anybody know? Come on, you know it. House of God is a house of what? Prayer. And he was zealous about it. He had a passion about it. We see the grace of God and the truth of God coming together at the same time. It's so important. If we're going to be a church that loves, that really loves people, a church that really helps people, grace and truth have always got to be together. And you see that in Jesus. And you see, you see Jesus, you know, all the way through Scripture, seeing that balance. The whole... The religious people at the time found this woman, it says, that was caught in the very act of adultery, and, and the church people, if you will, are, are wanting to stone her and kill her. And Jesus says what? To everyone else, hey, you, whoever else is, you know, if you're without sin, you throw the first stone. Everybody walked away. And Jesus says, does anybody condemn you? And she said, no. And Jesus says, I don't either. But then he also says what? Everybody know. Go and sin no more. Love 
and action together, grace and truth together, all in the same package. Because grace is, is, a, is an environment for change. Grace is an environment for us to, to do what God's called us to do, to be who he's created us to be, right? This is, this is key. I, we see grace and truth together, but here's, here's the thing that kind of stuck in my mind this week. trying to keep an eye on my time. Here's, here's the third thing that we're going to focus on, and we'll, we're close to being done. John the Baptist said that he was preparing the way for Jesus. You know what Jesus did when he walked into the temple, essentially, was he was preparing the way. He was cleaning house for the temple to be used what it was meant for. And I wonder, as you, as you look at your life, there's, there's this aspect of God's grace, but there's also this aspect of, of preparing the way for Jesus. There might be some things in our, in our life that need to be cleared off the decks, if you will. Because the, the Lord says something really interesting about, about His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Christians believe, according to what Scripture says, that as, if, as we, if we confess our sins to God, we ask for His forgiveness, that, that we're saved, but that His Spirit, God Himself, in some mysterious way that's difficult to describe and understand, comes and dwells within us. And we have a very close relationship with God as a result of that. And we're also given uh, an, a greater ability, if you will, to live life because of the power of God the love and the grace of God. In James chapter 4, I want us to take a look there. Um, I think I've got that in there, Justin. I'm going to read through this really quick to get to the point here. But it says, the beginning of this chapter, it's what's causing all this trouble, essentially? It causes fights among you. It says your passions are at war within you. Okay. You desire and you don't have, and it goes to the extreme and says, so you murder in this case for some people. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And he says, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He, he talks about this aspect of, um, he's talking to Christians here, and he says, you're, in a, you're an adulterous people. And a, an adulterous person is someone who's married to someone, as we know, right, and, and is sleeping with somebody else, breaking that, that covenant, if you will. And God says in Scripture that when we, when we, we come after him, it says that we are to leave everything else behind, essentially. Luke 9.23. Forsaking everything and following him. And there's this covenant that takes place. There's this promise that takes place that says, well, Jesus, I follow you. And that means something. It means that every aspect of our life should be ordered around him, should be focused on him. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower. That We are like him. And if we say that, and at the same time are friends of the world in the sense of not being friendly with people, 
but friendly with the world in the sense of we say we follow Jesus, yet we also, so we're in church one day and we, we say this, where then during the week we choose to do sinful things. Jesus says to these people, you're, you're, you're an adulterous kind of people. You're not being faithful to me. You're not living according to the way that I want you to live. And then he says, this was really interesting. He says, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell within us? He yearns jealously over the Spirit he's made to dwell within us. If if the, the temple was supposed to be a place of prayer and instead people are selling pigeons and goats and everything else in there rather than praying. It's not being used. It's not prepared for what it's supposed to be for. If the Spirit of God lives within us as Christians, there are things that, that ought not be in our lives. And so my question for, for all of us is, are we preparing the way for the Lord? Are we continuing to look at our lives to say, this doesn't belong? But this does. That's the the truth side of things. God gives us grace and love for that to be changed, though. He doesn't leave us alone and say, you know, well, there's this aspect of of correction, this aspect, there's a fancy word for it in church called sanctification. Say that with me, sanctification. It's this, this chipping away. It's this molding, okay? It's this... This training, because you know, probably one of the biggest reasons that a lot of people look at the church and they say, "Well, I don't want to go to church; they're just a bunch of hypocrites." Is because Jesus says that we are forgiven, that we're that we're changed spiritually, but physically and mentally, and all these areas within us, there's this process that all Christians are going through that God is molding and changing them to be the way that they need to be. It's a, it's a process that God is molding us and shaping us, and some might be a little further along than others. Some of us might say and do some really dumb things. And we love God, but we're, we're messing up and we're, we're, we're screwing up, or we're not presenting ourselves to God anymore, maybe like we used to, for Him to continue to mold us. Uh, for, for, for whatever reason, I think maybe God's preparing me for a mission trip, I have felt an urge to learn Spanish. See? Okay? That means yes, by the way. I guess what the Spanish word for no is. That's an easy one. Okay. So here's my point. I've been trying to learn Spanish, okay? But there is a transformation that has to take place in my brain to understand Spanish, okay? And I've got Rosetta Stone, and I've got this other free one called Duolingo, and between those two, I'm trying to go back and forth and to learn. But you know what? If I miss a day, even just one day, I get an email notification from Duolingo that says, hey, don't forget to basically learn your Spanish. You know, it takes time, regular practice for you to learn Spanish. Rosetta Stone, the email they send as well, after maybe two days, they give you a little bit more grace, says something like this, don't forget to learn your Spanish, expand your world. Because that's not really what it's doing. Learning Spanish is going to expand my world. I'm going to be able to, to understand and to speak in Spanish and to, to listen to what they're saying in Walmart, right? I was, I was in a gas station the other day getting gas, and I heard this guy talking on the phone. And he, he, and 
in, in Spanish, and I actually picked up a few words. I'm like, he's talking about what he's going to bring home for dinner. It's like, yes, okay? But that transformation takes place on a daily basis, dare say a moment-by-moment moment basis. We are being shaped and molded by God. It's with grace, but it's with truth. And the truth is, is I can't just spit out some words and think that it says what I'm thinking it says in Spanish. Someone, what, how helpful would that be where I start saying something that I think it says, you know, hey, would you like to go out to dinner in Spanish? It really means, hey, can I slap your mother? Because I didn't realize what I was saying. And someone says, no, no, just, just be graceful. Don't, don't tell them. It's going to be embarrassing. What good is that, right? How helpful is that kind of grace? It's not helpful. It might make me feel good for a while until I realize I don't know anything. I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. All this time, I thought I was saying, will you take me out to dinner? And now I've, I've, no one told me, and I go out and I say it to this other person, and they just laugh at me. Why? Well, what's the deal? That kind of grace is meaningless. It's worthless. Grace and truth have to come together. I want to be saying the right things. I want to have the confidence to know that when I speak that my words are true. I want to have the confidence in my life as well to know that I'm living the very best way. I am convinced that there is no better way than this way. A lot of people get hung up on one of the two. They get hung up on the truth side of it, and they never experience anyone share any love with them. And they just say, "You fry, your fries suck. All you do is burn your fries. Every time you get your fries, they're a brick. You're, you should get out of here. And, then, and they try again. They go to another place. Your fries suck. Your fries, and then finally they give up. I'm not doing fast food anymore. That place is nothing but a place of hate. Right? And that's the experience a lot of people have for church. Your fries suck. I'm not going back. And then on the other side, though, you've got someone that, that uh, other places that just, oh, we love you. We love your fries. are wonderful. Your Spanish is wonderful, all that kind of stuff. And you might feel good for a while, but you know what? It's not helping you. I want to learn Spanish. I want to learn how to really live. I want to know God. Because the real truth about the God we're talking about is a God of grace and truth, a God that loves us and wants the very best for us like we think about our parents, right? I'm sure Madonna shared some things with you all that, that you don't want to hear. But then you realize afterwards, Ma, Mother's Day especially, I love you. And I realize after all this time that I've learned something. Can you say that you've learned something from your mother? You better shake your head. Yeah, I know you have. And it's for the best. Because why? Because she what? She loves you. Funny, I didn't have to really prompt you with that. They know it, Madonna. The world, the Bible says that they shall know we are Christians, particularly by what? By our love. The truth and the love have to come together, but the love really sticks out. Because without the love, no one cares what you have to say. We're really trying to be a church that's loving and graceful, but also has the truth. Because if we don't, it's worthless. It's pointless. Pointless. Let's look at one final verse, and we'll, we'll be done. It's a verse I have in Hebrews, Justin. We don't have a high priest. This is talking about Jesus, by the way. To give you the context, we don't have time. Just trust me. He's talking about Jesus. We do not have a high priest. 
was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a God, we don't have Jesus who doesn't understand our struggles, who doesn't understand our temptations. It says, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. It says that he's been tempted in every way that we've been tempted. And you're like, you could ask a million questions. Well, why? Well, how? How could Jesus really understand this? How could he relate to this? How could he really comprehend and understand that? I have faith in what Scripture says, and I wasn't there. Okay? But it says we don't have a God, essentially, who doesn't sympathize, who doesn't understand. Instead, we have a God who says, I've been there. But here's the one unique difference. It says, yet, he didn't mess up. He was tempted, I'm sure, to turn around and cuss out the Pharisees, and if anybody deserved it, they did, but he didn't. He understands that temptation. He understands that, but he is without sin, and that's really what we need, right? We ultimately need that person who has, he came down in the flesh, he lived life, he was tempted, but he pulled it off. And, and if we're not looking to Jesus, you're looking to people like your teachers and pastors, unfortunately, who, who have messed it up big time. Wouldn't it be great to have a pastor who, who was tempted and never messed up? Because you think, this guy knows how to do it. Well, this is why all pastors are saying, look at Jesus. He did it. So he sympathizes, he understands, yet he's without sin And so here's the point then. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Let us go to God seeking that grace, seeking that love, right? That forgiveness that we need so that that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Draw near to God. He's a source of grace. He's a source of truth. He's a source of life. He's a source of joy. He's Everything boils down and comes and is pointed to Him. Everything. That's who we are. That's who we're trying to be as real life church. It's one of the biggest things we believe in is grace and truth, to be full of grace and truth like Jesus was. Would you stand with me? And we will close in prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, we we thank you that you give us the grace to learn, to understand, to be shaped by you. There's another passage I just thought of, reminded of, that says your kindness leads us to repentance. You have this patience, incredible patience with us that that you're just waiting for us to, to come to you, to come to your throne of grace, to make the right moves, to come to you for help. Help us to reach out to you. Help us to live uh, with in a way that honors you because that's real life. Help us to be people that are full of grace and truth. Not just truth and not just grace. Lord, let us be people that are full of that. 
Let people see and understand the love that we have for them. Let them really see you. Lord, today we um, just present ourselves to you. Lord, help us to be those people. We love you. We thank you for this day, for this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.